Download the SportDeck app today for live scores, stats, the latest news and betting. You can find us on the App Store or by going to sportdeck.com. Thirty weeks, four hundred and eighty games. American soccer history will be made as the United Soccer League prepares for its biggest ever regular season. You're listening to Sport Deck Speaks. I'm Dave O'Grady. Gareth Morgan, you love a bit of American soccer. Absolutely, absolutely, Dave. Looking forward to this one. Remember, for the best live score stats, the latest news and betting, we have it all available on the Sport Deck app. To download it, simply go to sportdeck.com. We're available on the App Store and you can get us for Android as well. We're absolutely delighted to be joined on the show with Jake Edwards, president of the United Soccer League. Jake, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, the USL has now gained official Division 2 status. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means for the competition in real terms? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Dave. Um, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a, a, a long sort of 18-month process uh, going through the sanctioning process, moving a league up a division. It's the first time that's actually happened in, in the U.S. Um, so it's been an interesting process, uh, very involved, and, you know, we're thrilled with the outcome, uh, of course. And for our uh, team owners, and uh, it's a validation of the investment they've been making uh, over the years into their clubs, building sta- uh, soccer stadiums, um, investing in youth academy and youth development initiatives, and doing all of the right things to build the game. Uh, and so it's a validation of all the work they've been doing across the country. It's a recognition of the growth of the league over the last few years, from 10 teams to uh, over 30 teams now and growing, and, uh, and uh, anticipation of all the uh, new and exciting initiatives that we're embarking upon uh, as a league to, to, to grow and move forward. So uh, it's important for us as a league as we launch the broadcast uh, initiatives, we launch uh, the new commercial uh, department, we move into some other areas of the business, big focus on the digital uh, side of the business. It's, it gives us a platform as a second division uh, to really maximize those opportunities uh, nas- uh, domestically and abroad. Uh, and certainly for the clubs, you know, it, it, it affects directly the clubs uh, moving from a third division to a second division, whether you're talking about increase in franchise values, uh, the club value increase in uh, uh, revenue streams. Uh, they'll see an uplift in, in the revenues. We've gone through an exhaustive uh, sort of study on all of the revenue stream and the impact that's going to have. There's a perception. Uh, uh, we don't have a promotion relegation system here, as you mm, know. So yeah. moving up uh, as a team or a league is not merit-based, whether you're at uh, one division or another. It's uh, meeting certain standards. And so our teams have been have, uh, worked hard to achieve and meet those standards uh, and therefore want to have that recognition. But there's a perception in the marketplace when the clubs are out looking for a media deals and sponsorship deals and, and marketing their club, um, having the perception of a second division uh, and one behind MLS makes a difference. Yeah, because I, I was thinking about that and obviously the MLS are looking to add another four clubs in the coming years, taking it, I think, to a total of 28. Now, several of the clubs from your competition have submitted applications to be a part of that expansion, including, I think, Phoenix and Cincinnati. What about that expo- uh, uh, proposed expansion? Would that benefit uh, the, the USL? Yeah, I think the MLS will go, uh, you know, they're opening the window now to get to 28. I suspect there'll be another window uh, in a couple of years beyond that to push to probably 30. 
uh, or 32. That's a uh, that's in line with sort of an NFL uh, size uh, structure uh, in the US. So I think that's probably where they'll go uh, in terms of the number of clubs. We have a few clubs that have, as you say, put applications in. Uh, five of the last seven uh, expansion teams uh, have come out of the USL. Uh, Seattle, Portland, uh, you know, Vancouver, Montreal, and, and most recently Orlando City. Uh, these are clubs that have cut their teeth, built their brands, built their clubs and fan bases in the USL over a uh, you know, a significant period of time, and so it's no, um, it's not new for us. And obviously, Sacramento have been a uh, uh, in Northern California have done extremely well in the last few years in our league. Sold out every game. They're averaging a little over twelve thousand people a game, and are very, very close to um, uh, moving up and getting the acceptance to move into the MLS. So, uh, you know, for us uh, as a league. Um, you know, we challenge all of our teams to operate at the highest level yeah. you know, on and off the field uh, and to have a very successful business model. And only the best teams that are able to achieve that really uh, will be in the running. And that's and, and even less because there's only certain markets that the MLS will be looking for that have a certain TV size and other criteria that, that they'll be looking at as well. Not least the ability to fund a expansion fee and a, and a 20 plus thousand seat stadium. Um, so... Uh, there are a few uh, things that those teams have to achieve, but you know, as I said, we've had a number of teams now that have made the made the move up, and you know, we support them to do that. But while they're in the USL, uh, you know, they have to, um, you know, just uh, be a great, uh, uh, high-performing club in our league uh, while they're here. Jake, as we mentioned a couple of moments ago, USL is set for its its biggest season ever. It's all set to get underway uh, towards the end of March. What are you particularly looking forward to in the coming campaign? Yeah, this is a big year for us. I mean, this is the longest season we've had, the most teams, the most number of games. So it's going to be uh, a very difficult competition this year for the teams. The quality uh, of coaches and players in the league now is at an all-time high the quality of teams uh, across the board is, in, is is tremendous as well. So it's going to be a very difficult uh, competition for the clubs to get through to the playoffs. So it's going to be exciting uh, to watch that. You know, we've got uh, a number of clubs, uh, some uh, new clubs this year uh, in our in our league that we're looking forward to seeing how they uh, how they launch. Um, we're going to have a, a couple of new stadiums, uh, uh, probably most notably in South Texas for our Rio Grande Valley team, a brand new 10,000 seat stadium, beautiful stadium that's going to open this year as part of our stadium um, uh, building initiative across the country. Uh, We're going to be launching uh, USL Productions this year where for the first time we're going to be taking control of uh, the almost 500 uh, games in terms of producing all of those games uh, in a single location off-site with commentators, graphics, replays, production, everything done archived uh, and ancillary program, uh, programming TV shows, highlight shows, all that. It's, going to be, it's all going to be produced off-site in, in South Florida uh, in a facility uh, with a company called Vista Worldlink, a tremendous group. And so we'll, have, we'll connect all of our stadiums uh, to this new network we're creating. We'll have nothing but cameras uh, and operators in the buildings and everything are going to be done off-site. Uh, every weekend, it's going to enable us to do a tremendous amount of uh, programming uh, and content, live live content and ancillary content, and, and put put it anywhere around the world instantly. So, it's a major investment for us, about a ten million dollar investment over the next three years to build this network and this infrastructure. 
but for us, it standardizes the quality of all the games. It enables our teams to have uh, to be able to sell uh, 16 home and 16 away games locally to their local TV partners, knowing that the quality of production is at the right level. So. Uh, there's a number of initiatives off the field, really, that I'm excited about, sort of certainly about USL productions. We'll be launching uh, USL properties as well as our new commercial division. And uh, USL Digital uh, is another division. We've hired eight staff members on uh, alone um, uh, towards the end of last year, uh, both on social and digital. And we've created a network where all of the teams will be con connected now. All of the team sites are run out of the league office. So we've centralized a lot of that content. So a number of initiatives that we're investing in now uh, off the field, but we, but um, look, I'm a football guy, so the most thing I'm looking forward to is the game <laughs> yeah. and the competition, really. But there's a lot going on outside of that. So as you said, obviously you're, you're raising the profile. There sounds like you've got some, you know, very interesting ideas on yeah. on the broadcast front and so on. Where can um, fans who might be keen to have a look at USL but are based in this part of the world, where where could they have a have a look at those games, Jake? All of the games are going to live on our website. The, the games are going to be, uh, uh, you know, we, we're going to be announcing soon our new media partners. We'll be expanding the partnership with ESPN. We'll be, we'll be, um, uh, you know, looking at a national television uh, level, a local television level in the markets we're in, as well as a digital uh, streaming. Uh, and so we're in, the, we're in a number of conversations now with some digital distribution partners that I think are very exciting given what's happening in that space. You know, last year we we uh, partnered with Facebook to per, uh, put uh, Cincinnati uh, versus Crystal Palace uh, on uh, on the Facebook uh, live platform. We, we, we'll be doing uh, a larger run of games uh, likely this year with Facebook and a number of other uh, similar companies that are looking to get into that space. So we'll be testing um, uh, that this year and, and those will all be accessible uh, globally. But all the games... Um, will be available on our match center. So the match center is on our website, uslsoccer.com. Uh, and we are, we'll have our own player there and, and there'll be a menu of games and you'll be able to see every single game there live streamed. Oh, brilliant. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. And, and another thing about the on-the-field matters, Jake, is which will appeal to people over in Europe is there is quite a few coaches from the UK and Ireland working in the USL now. I know James O'Connor at Louisville, Paul Daglish at Ottawa, plus other familiar names like John Harkes is there. It must be great for the competition to have such a diverse group of coaches involved. We've got a, we're very lucky. Yeah, we've got a brilliant group of coaches. We have some very experienced coaches uh, that have been in the game uh, overseas or in the U.S. for many years. And we've got a, a, a growing um, group of really young, hungry, dynamic coaches. Um, you know, you've mentioned, uh, you mentioned a couple of great coaches there, James O'Connor, um, Anthony Poulos, uh, you know, um, Paul Buckle in Sacramento. You've got a, a number of coaches coming out of um, uh, the UK, uh, and they are, you know, in highly engaged students of the game. They've all got the pro licenses. They're they're hard workers. You know, they are. Um, in addition to the, uh, you know, tremendous group of, of US and Canadian and uh, you know the North American coaches here. So we, you know, our competition. Um, uh, you know, moves forward every year in terms of the competitiveness. We analyze that with our partnership with Opta. We spend a lot of time looking at the competition and the quality of play. You know, we had over, um, uh, I think so far, over 60 international, full senior international players uh, in the league. Um, we've got, uh, you know, an average age of about 24. So we still have some uh, experienced pros, but we've got a lot of 
dynamic, young, exciting players, some of the future national team stars in, in the in the league. So it's an exciting product. But to have those coaches is extremely important because they find the quality of players. Yeah. And those coaches are going to continue to move the game forward. We work closely with the coaches. We have a technical committee uh, and subcommittees uh, that focus on player development initiatives, focus on uh, you know the competition, focus on coaching education. We work a lot with the federation here to deliver coaching education programs to our to our guys. But we have some tremendous uh, coaches in the league, and, and they're a joy they're a joy to work with. You know, and and, um, and uh, you know it's uh, uh, for them. It's um, you know I think. I spend a lot of time, you know, in those meetings with the coaches, trying to understand uh, their challenges and, and, and working with them to improve the competition. And they are a tremendously engaged group. Uh, so, you know, we, we're very proud of the coaches we've got. Yeah, and it's certainly good for them to be able to, you know, work with a, a progressive age group as well. It's not just, you know, as you see people coming to the end of their career or just kids. It's a it's a good, there's a good solid age group there for where people, a lot of players will be, in fact, in their prime. I was reading, uh, I was looking up at some of the great names of the teams that are in this league, Jake, and I, I discovered that there were formerly, there, in the past, there were several sides from uh, Puerto Rico and I think there was one from Antigua in the competition. Are you guys looking to go in the future, maybe beyond the USA and Canada in terms of bringing in new teams and expand further afield? Yeah, we've had, um, we've, you know, over the sort of long history of the USL, um, you know, we've had clubs in the Caribbean and uh, uh, Canada, of course. Uh, you know, in the, in the sort of, you know, in the current version of the USL, uh, we've, we have moved away from that. It's, there are some inherent challenges now with cross-border uh, leagues and, um, you know, FIFA and uh, CONCACAF, the governing uh, federation over here, are... Um, you know, taking a, I would say, a harder line on that than they used to in years gone by. So it's not as easy now to have teams in other countries playing uh, cross borders. Um, there is a uh, uh, there is a plan on the table now to have a professional league in Canada uh, that, that's um, uh, you know targeted in 2018 start. Uh, so that may well affect the situation. Um, uh, the Caribbean, the CFU, uh, are looking at a professional league uh, as well that they're looking to develop. So, um, you know, for, for right now, we don't have, we wouldn't have plans to, uh, you know, mm. ex- expand into uh, into the Caribbean. We have tried that before. There are some inherent challenges in terms of uh, the, the, the travel, uh, the, you know, travel implications for the U.S.-based teams, most notably. But uh, and um, you know, visa issues with players and, and so on and so forth. So it's not a uh, it's not something we have plans to address uh, anytime soon. Jake, I just uh, was when I was looking through the, the way that the league is structured. Then I believe it's it's twenty of of the member clubs are affiliated in some way to MLS teams. I just wondered if there's any disparity between those the clubs that do have an MLS affiliation and those that don't, just in terms of greater resources, not necessarily financial, but in terms of facilities and medical staff and, and treatment and so on? Well, we have, you know, we have an interesting structure here. We've got 20 independent teams playing in the competition. Uh, these are independently owned and operated clubs. Um, we have an additional 10 clubs that are um, uh, owned and operated by uh, a parent MLS club uh, directly. Uh, and uh, the 20 independent clubs of those 20, uh, a number of them have an affiliation relationship with an, with an MLS club. Okay. 
So, you know, that is no, you know, that that's sort of not, not really different than, um, for example, that you have in the UK with, a, you know, you're sending players on loan from a Premier League team to a championship team or a League One team. Uh, and you might send a player on loan for a month, three months or a full season. Uh, the affiliation model is um, just takes it one step further, whereby there's an exclusive relationship between two clubs, um, uh, uh, and there is a minimum number of players that are sent on loan. It's four. It's a minimum of four players that are sent on loan. Um, during a season, though, players can be recalled, uh, maybe some injuries, international call-ups, depleted squads. So the reality is that you know at times you don't always have four players on loan. Um, but they're independently owned and operated clubs. Um, the two coaches work together to try and identify what the needs are. Uh, they might not need a particular position uh, to be filled, so they won't take that loan player. Um, you know, there are some additional resources that, that, that may or may not be there, depending on how integrated that relationship becomes um, on and off the field, so to speak. So we've not seen any, and I don't foresee any competitive advantage um, with a team because we do have a number of the independent teams that don't have a relationship with an MLS club and, and choose not to. They don't feel that it's uh, a value add in any way to them. Yeah. Um, for some of the teams, you're save, saving labor costs, right? For some of the teams, you might save on a couple of players' uh, salaries. Um, uh, and there's maybe some brand uh, value to having that relationship with a, with a, um, with a MLS club uh, and sometimes they'll have uh, exhibition games in the preseason and what have you so there are some advantages there are some benefits to having it but uh, it, you, don't, you don't need to have it a number of our clubs choose not to so as we see the competition unfold over the last few years um, we haven't seen any competitive advantage in terms of the quality of the squads or the teams that have advanced into the playoffs or into the finals uh, so it hasn't had, a, hasn't had an effect on that yeah, well, it, it's certainly fascinating to, to see the dynamics there and certainly what you guys are doing over there. I think there's a lot of leagues throughout Europe that will probably be jealous that they wish they could have that kind of uh, go-getting attitude in the sense of what you're setting up. Uh, it's it's remarkable, Jake. Uh, I really wish you the best, very best of luck this season with the United Soccer League. No doubt it's going to be a great success and uh, continued onwards and upwards. Thanks a million for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Gareth, thanks for the opportunity to uh, share what we're doing. Appreciate it. Well, what a chat with Jake Edwards. And I'll tell you something, Gareth. I'm excited for the United Soccer League this year. I am, and it wasn't a league, to be honest, that I knew a huge amount about until we chatted to Jake there. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. He, he promoted it extremely well. And as you said, sort of whetted the appetite for a competition that uh, I wasn't particularly aware of before we spoke to him. It's interesting because I first heard of it when I interviewed Neil Collins a couple of weeks back. Uh, he was He's obviously with the Tampa Bay Rowdies now, and they were in the United Soccer League. And they've been trying to get into the MLS, one of those clubs that I think doesn't have an affinity with an existing MLS club. I might be wrong on that. I do apologise if I am, but it's remarkable the infrastructure that they're putting in place, the initiatives that they're doing. And you're just listening to Jake hearing about, you know, already putting 10 million aside just to make sure every ground is, you know, facilitated to broadcast matches. That's so exciting. Absolutely, it's uh, yeah that the I was yeah real eyebrow raiser the amount of money that uh, that was being invested into the league and obviously exciting times ahead and you just mentioned that Tampa Bay Rowdies a former uh, member 
of that particular competition. There's some great names in there as well. Yeah. We were scrolling through earlier on, picked out a couple. I like the the Pittsburgh River Hounds. River Hounds. Wow. I'm a b- big fan of the Wilmington Hammerheads. Hammerheads. Incredible stuff. Fantastic. And one of the things we often talk about on the show is clubs, or sorry, the leagues that would not necessarily be, the leagues here in Europe that are crying out for initiatives like that. Obviously, uh, the League of Ireland and the Welsh League and, you know, I think it's probably fair to say one thing that the Welsh League, League of Ireland, not so much Scotland, but they have in common is the fact that the the broadcasting, there's not enough coverage from national broadcasters on that, you know? Well, the, the League of Wales at least has games shown on S4C. There's, I'm not sure if there's a live game every weekend, but it's most weekends. So you do get to see a little bit. But I mean, obviously, League of Ireland, there was that deal where sort of used to get random periodic games the odd Friday, didn't you, for yeah. the last couple of seasons. I don't know whether that's continuing or not, but it was it was a curious sort of scattergun approach to coverage that there seemed to be. You never quite knew whether a game was going to be on that Friday or it might go three weeks without a game and then you might have two on the trot, which, you know, isn't great if you're trying to build up a pattern of of viewing, you know, to get habitual viewers of, of the League of Ireland. You know, you need to know where and when I'm going to watch it. Yeah, the Championship in England, obviously, they have some games on, well, I think every week they have a game on a Friday do, night, yeah. obviously, to m- allow the Championship to stand on its own two feet when we're completely saturated by the coverage shown to the Premier League. Same thing happened, as you were talking about, in the League of Ireland matches, the mainstream matches being played on the Friday night in order to avoid the, you know, the fairweather fans that would rather just follow the Premier League because it's just so dominant. But when you hear... Over in America, the leagues are not properly interconnected, if that's the right word, you know, and to see great initiatives in that regard go true. I mean, I think a lot of people could learn from it. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think perhaps if we if we'd had longer with Jake, we might have delved more into those links between clubs in in that division that we were talking about and in MLS as well because obviously to I think ourselves that sounded like a slightly well certainly unorthodox in compared to what we're used to in terms of the way clubs exist and coexist with other clubs but uh yeah, it'll it'll be very interesting to see how that uh, how that league pans out, and obviously, as he as he said there, you, it's great exposure that they have in the media, which is which is absolutely fantastic. They're striking while the iron's hot, though. We've seen the huge interest in America for soccer when the United States were at the Brazil World Cup. You know, they were erecting big screens all over the place, and fans were just jumping on the bandwagon. Even the president, Barack Obama, at the time was jumping on the the soccer bandwagon. And, you know, it's a perfect time for them to take that next step. Yeah, I think one other issue that might have come out of it in terms of what we're used to over this side of the Atlantic, that there's, even though they've got Division 2 status, there's no promotion to MLS in in place at the moment, yeah, which... an interesting one. Yeah. yeah, that would raise question marks with us because obviously you could win the title and you just sort of win the title and that's, you know, that, yeah. that's, I mean, it's an honour in itself, don't get me wrong, but if you're used to a system by where, you know, winning one league takes you up to the next league or perhaps qualifies you for a lucrative continental competition of some description, it's quite hard to sort of get your head around the fact that even though they've got Division 2 status, 
that doesn't imply that there's any plan to connect with the top division. Absolutely. I get what you're saying. And I've got, for some reason inside my head right now, I've got a a weird forming shape of uh, the the current state of boxing around the world in the sense that there's not one championship. There's about a million different promotions, IBO, IBF, Diamond Belts, WBO, WBA, Super. They're, They're inventing weight classes in between the main weight classes. And, you know, it's... Obviously, it we you know it would be great to see the United Soccer League continue to rise as it is doing. But you know, obviously, when people think of soccer in America, they're thinking of the MLS. And I think it's important to point out as well that it's the same in Australia. There's no real tradition of relegation um, at the top level of domestic sports in those countries. There's no def- um, relegation from the AFL or the NRL or the A League, and equally in America in the NFL. NBA, whatever it might be, as far as I'm aware, there's no, absolutely no tradition that if you finish in the bottom two, three, whatever it might be, that you go down and teams from the next tier come up. So as alien as it might seem to us, I guess over in the States, they they wouldn't seem anything odd about that at all. Here's a bonkers one very quickly, because I know we're, we're, we're short for time. In order to set up a club, say a new consortium wants to come along in Australia and they want to set up a football club. Are they allowed to do that in the sense that, you know, the creation of teams we see now in Germany and I'll give you one here in Ireland, uh, Cabantili, a, a great club close to where our offices here are in Sport Deck. They, a couple of businessmen came together, set up the club and, you know, there was a lot of people against it from, you know, teams in Ireland. I know you're involved in a couple of teams here in Ireland uh, as a coach and, and, and assistant manager, but a lot of people were against it in the sense that they felt that, well, just because people have money doesn't mean they should be able to set up a club and play like in the second tier of a, of a league. How difficult is it in Australia? Well, in Australia, you would have to be granted a license by the A-League, by the governing body itself. So you would have to, it would have to be part of their expansion plans. They would essentially decide that, uh, say, Hobart, for example, yeah. or Canberra, Within, was the next port of call for expansion. So that couldn't happen, say, Dublin needs a new football club. Well, actually, no, it doesn't. There's enough football teams here. Yeah, it would need. Yeah. It would have to come from the top, at which point it would then, I guess, in some ways be put out to a kind of tender where different consortia would put their proposals on the table. We want to form Canberra, I don't know, Canberra, what, Rowdies or whatever it might be. We want to form Canberra United. And those would then be considered by the A-League authorities and the licence would then be granted to whichever they felt was the best fit and and, and the most sustainable going forward. So that's how it would work with the A-League. And they are actively looking to expand the A-League at the moment. Incredible stuff. We, We were only talking to Jake for about 25 minutes or so and yet it has opened up a whole worldwide of conversations and it's fascinating Absolutely, I'm, I'm definitely planning to. Uh, he said the the games are, are broadcast on the internet, didn't he? He said that you can access them there. So I think, uh, yeah, the next time the Wilmington Hammerheads are in action, they might have a might have a new viewer or and two, possibly. Absolutely, I'm on that bandwagon. But I'm afraid we're out of time here on Sport Deck Speaks. Our thanks to Jake Edwards, president of the United Soccer League. Uh, league certainly on the up. Exciting times for soccer in the United States of America. Gareth, it's been a pleasure having you as always. Always. Thanks, Dave. Really enjoyed it. Don't forget to download the Sport Deck app for the best live scores, stats, the latest news and betting. We have them all in one place. Simply go to sportdeck.com. We're on the App Store and we're available from Android as well. From Gareth Morgan and myself, Dave O'Grady, take care. Sport Deck.
Download the SportDeck app today for live scores, stats, the latest news and betting. You can find us on the App Store or by going to sportdeck.com.